Oh, praise to God most high. Hallelujah. I have loved, loved seeing what God is doing the last few years for sure, but the last couple of months. It feels to me like the people of God has fall, have fallen in love again with His presence, with His purpose, with who He is, you know, but they've fallen in love with Him again. And I feel like, and I don't know, perhaps it's our whole church together has dedicated themselves to being holy, you know, being set apart, being different. But in that, I just sense a sweetness in the hearts of God's people, you know? I feel like you come here and you want more of God. You know, you want more of Him. You want, you want to honor Him. You, you want to live for Him. You want to please Him. And, and I think when we live like that, we, we can't help but, but see God do incredible things. I'm hearing testimonies of people who have been healed physically. I'm hearing testimonies of people who have broken free from addiction, struggles, sins, that have bound and chained them for years and years. I'm hearing testimonies of families that are finding joy again. It's fascinating what you get to see when you, when you really do just want Christ. You know, when you really do ju just want to honor God with your life. And I'm loving what I'm seeing. But you know what? It's just amazing to come and just stand in the presence of God with people who just love the Lord. I tell you, I'm excited to preach today. I've, um, some, I'm always excited to preach, but sometimes I just get thrilled and, 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 I, and, and, I, and I just get so excited about the subject, you know what I mean, about... But, and I don't mean that in some sort of sterile way. But I mean, I just sometimes get excited about, about, about what God is going to do and how it's going to change people's lives and help them honor Him better and help them live a life that's more in line with God's ways. And today's one of those sermons again. And so I'm excited to preach. Uh, if you're new, my name is Jesse. I'm the lead pastor here at Eternity Church. Um, this morning, my darling wife is in Audubon, so look after my wife and kids out there. And um, yeah, come on, let's say welcome to Audubon. Come on, guys. And I think I said tonight that my wife is out there, but it is, it is morning, and so um, if she's still out there tonight, then I'm going to miss her, so send her back. But... Um, but anyway, I'm excited. Hey, this afternoon, we, ha we have two screenings at three, at 3 and 6 of uh, the Jesus Revolution at the Palms Theatre in Waukee. Um, we, we invite you to come to that. Bring your friends. Uh, honestly, we, we probably should have thought about some sort of ticketing system. We did not. Um, and so what we'll do is just turn up, and if you don't fit, um, we will bribe the people at the door to let more people in, and you sit on the floor or sit on, you know, someone's lap or whatever else. Uh, Ian's a strong guy. He can handle 
one on each leg, all right? And so, um, but they're wide seats, we'll make it work. And, but do me a favor, if you, like, come anyway, but, but try, and bring a, try and bring an unsaved friend to that, to that. At the end of each session, I'm gonna preach the gospel message. And uh, uh, maybe next year or next time something like this happens, we can also book the theaters in Audubon as well and do the same thing out there, that'd be fantastic. So, but again, Jesus Revolution at 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. at the Palms Theater in Waukee. Bring your friends, they will give their lives to Christ this weekend. It is free, we have covered it, just come and bring someone, all right? <clears throat> awesome. Hey, um, before you take seats, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to read um, the last third of that from, uh, that'll be uh, verse 17 uh, through to verse 24. But first, I want to set this up for you a little bit as you're finding that. Um, last time we saw Lot, Lot had chosen to pursue safety, uh, blessing, and security by joining the crowd in Sodom. Um, and, so by, and so he thought if he goes where the people are, that's where he'll find everything that he needs. And it's, what's interesting about this is um, when Lot went to Sodom, the people of Sodom were actually enslaved, uh, so to speak, to some uh, other kings and other cities. Um, and so, so Lot actually chose to go live in an evil place with evil people to do evil things. And what's worse is he chose to be a part of an enslaved people who are enslaved to a whole other people. And um, now after 12 years of uh, Sodom and surrounding cities being enslaved by some other cities, um, the people of Sodom uh, and, and Gomorrah, uh, they chose to rebel against those rulers. Uh, and then the, the other kings came to squash that rebellion and uh, squash it they did. They actually ended up carting the people of Sodom and surrounding cities away as slaves and prizes. They took all their gold, all their silver, all their treasure, all their possessions with them. <clears throat> Uh, and then one person from Sodom actually escapes and goes and gives word to the Hebrew. That would be Abram. This is the first time we see Abram called the Hebrew uh, in all of Scripture. And so someone gives word to the Hebrew uh, that his nephew Lot has been caught up in this mess. He's been captured and enslaved with everybody else. So what Abram does is he gathers his 318 trained men of war. Uh, and I love that Abram had 318 trained men of war, okay? Um, this indicates that Abram's camp was probably about a thousand people at this time. He had 318 men of war. Um, and there is a whole nother sermon that we could preach one day from that about how you need to be trained for spiritual war, right? And, um, but we'll get to that another day. Uh, he also goes, Abram then grabs them. He also goes and talks to some neighboring communities that he is allied with. They have a war pact together, um, much like NATO, where the articles are invoked if one is under siege. And so then, um, so then they all go together and they, uh, they chase the enemy, they destroy the enemy. They take the people back, they take Lot back, and they take all the treasure back as well. And that's where uh, we pick up the story. So Abram has gone and he has rescued everybody and he's coming back from the war. <coughs> and it says in verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Chedolorumataba, uh, um, I don't know how to say it, um, and, and all the other kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, someone say the king of Sodom, all right? At this point, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Sheva, that is the, the valley of the kings or the king's valley, uh, and then Melchizedek, so someone say Melchizedek, all right? Melchizedek was the king of Salem. So Sodom went out to meet him, and, and then the king of Salem 
brought out bread and wine. He was priest of Most High God, and he blessed Abram, and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth and and God, sorry, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And what I love about this moment is that, um, that, that, that at this point, we've only seen one godly person on earth. All the way up to and including Genesis 13, we've only seen Adam now uh, at this stage of history. We only, sorry, not Adam. We only see Abram wanting to glorify God, living for God, right? Making mistakes, no doubt, but but Abram, we think, is the one man of God with the one clan that worships God. Then we're confronted with this other guy, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God. Now, we know that it's the same God from a priest of the Most High God, and Scripture talks about him like that. And then in uh, Psalm 110 and Hebrews, we also see them speak of him as uh, how Christ came from the order of Melchizedek. But this is what's really cool. At this point, they had the God of the sun, the God of the earth, the God of the rain, the God of the water, the God of whatever else. But there was only one group of people that had God of heaven and earth. That was Abram. But then Abram encounters this other man, Melchizedek, who is priest of God most high, the God of heaven and earth, okay? So then after this encounter with this priest of God most high, Abram gave him a tenth of everything, verse 21. And then, and then pause, that's it. We're done with Melchizedek. That's it. That's his entire uh, moment in scripture other than references to him later on. And then the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, here it is again, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And I will take nothing but what the young men have already eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Um, and, and that's speaking of his allies went to war with him so they can take what they want, but me, I'm not taking anything. All right? Sound good? All right. Could someone, uh, who wants to pray now? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm getting so far ahead of myself because I absolutely love this story, all right? So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, let us never choose riches over righteousness. God, let us uh, never choose popularity over peace that comes from heaven. Let us never choose pleasure over the purposes that you've put in our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that today you would help us to see what you want us to see to do what you want us to do, to live how you want us to live so we could be all that you've called us to be. Speak to us, guide us and lead us. As I preach your word, I ask you to move in our hearts. Let the word of the Lord pierce the hearts of your people and produce permanent change. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, someone say amen. amen. High five your neighbor and say, beware the hidden debt. The name of my message today is The Hidden Debt, okay? The Hidden Debt, all right? And, um, and so uh, Abram comes back from this tremendous victory there, right? We see that and 
which by the way, that victory is just a part of God's promise to make his name great. Uh, after this victory now, Abram, the Hebrew, is a force to be reckoned with, okay? Then after this encounter there, um, after this battle, he has an encounter with two kings. And what I wanna do today is talk to you about who those kings were and what that would mean in your life as well, okay? So the first king we have is the king of Sodom. Can we put that up on the screen here right now? And so we have the king of Sodom, right? Now, the king of Sodom, his name was Bira. Uh, Bira means gift. So we have the king of Sodom is gift. And Sodom means depravity and wickedness. So, so what we have here, after this battle that Abram uh, 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 has, after Abram's victory, he is offered a gift from depravity and wickedness. <clears throat> Verse 21 uh, says, The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but you take the goods for yourself. Now, now listen to me. I want to pause for a second. Today, uh, I'm going to get real teachy and, and, and throw a whole lot of theology at you for like the first probably two-thirds of the message, and y'all are just going to have to eat it, all right? And, uh, but it's going to be good for you. It's good to understand why we believe, not just what we believe, right? And so, um, so again, so what we have here is a gift being offered to Abram, a gift from depravity and wickedness. Um, the king said, you take the goods for yourself. Well, what goods is he talking about? Well, verse 11 shows us that it says that the kings and the kingdoms took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah. How much did they take? All the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 16 shows us that Abram brought back all the possessions. So how, many, how much did he bring back? All of it. So the king of Sodom is offering Abram an entire city worth of gold, treasure, and possessions. That is a big offer. Come on, anybody else. Could you imagine if somebody came to you and said, I have run a rake through all of Des Moines, you can have all the gold, all the treasure, all their possessions. That's a lot of money, anybody else, right? And that's what's being offered to Abram at this very moment, all right? Give me the people, you can have the possessions. But Abram said to the king, no, I don't want your gift, I don't want your gold, I don't want your treasure. And he makes a statement to the king of wickedness and depravity in verse 22 and 23. I have lifted my hand to the Lord. Now listen to me. When you see the word Lord, you've probably noticed in Scripture that sometimes it's without a, like an L-O-R-D, lowercase. Sometimes it's all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Have you noticed that as you read your Bibles? The reason for that is uh, not too long before the Old Testament was finished, the old covenant was closed, Jewish people not wanting to take the name of the Lord in vain started to call him Lord instead of Yahweh, okay? And so you'll see uh, YW, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, y, what, sorry? YHW, my brain just died for a moment. YHWH, right? And, and so that's God's name spelt throughout all of the Old Testament, but again, um, Jewish people not wanting, or the Hebrews not wanting to take the Lord's name in vain and not wanting to risk that, started calling him Lord. So anywhere in Scripture that you see a 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's actually YHWH, Yahweh, okay? And so, so what he's saying here to, 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 to Sodom after having an encounter with uh, Melchizedek, to, who, who uses the same God, um, uh, he says that Yahweh, I've, I've lifted my, my hand to Yahweh, God most high, uh, the God of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you might say that I made Abram rich. Abram took a moment to look beyond the treasure, beyond the gold, beyond the power. Abram looked beyond a city worth of treasure and he saw the hidden debt. He saw the debt that came with the gift, the hidden debt that would be used to enslave him to wickedness and depravity for the rest of his life. The hidden debt that would cause other people to say that wickedness and depravity made Abram great. Not that Yahweh made Abram great, not that the Lord made Abram great, but that wickedness and that depravity is what made Abram great. And Abram was smart enough to see the hidden debt. If only we could have the foresight or the eyes to see that Abram had, that when these opportunities come into our lives, that we would too be able to see the hidden debt that comes attached to the gift from Sodom. Amen. Amen. Pastor Sean told me a story um, when I was talking about my message with him this week, and he told me a story about a phenomenal linebacker named Junior Sayow. Sayow. Okay, now I'm Australian, I've been really struggling to say this man's name. And uh, whenever I can't say something, I blame being Australian, and usually it gets me off the hook pretty quick. So. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Junior Seau, um, after a legendary career in college football, he got drafted to play for his hometown San Diego Chargers. Uh, and now I'm, a, I'm an Aussie, I'm still learning about American football, um, but even I know that the position of linebacker requires incredible toughness and strength that not many are qualified to handle. Uh, really, you probably got to be built like me or, um, or, you know, to be able to handle that, you know. Um, no, a guy like me would break in half on the first day, right? Um, but even after such a demanding job and playing such a demanding position, uh, he only missed 13 games in 12 seasons. Now, I don't care what sport you play, to go 12 seasons and only miss 13 games, is an, you're an absolute beast if you can do that, right? Um, after the 2009 season, Junior retired. Uh, he retired after earning millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and in a position to earn even more than that with endorsements and, uh, and, and, and brand ambassadorships from multiple large companies. And by most people's accounts, uh, Junior, uh, his future looked wealthier and better than he could have ever imagined it would be. And fast forward uh, just a short couple of years after his retirement, one day in 2012, at the age of 43, his girlfriend finds him dead in their Oceanside, California home after having shot himself in the chest. Then after this, they obviously did an autopsy and they discovered that in his brain he had CTE uh, and, the, and his death sparked a lot more research into what's called CTE, a chronic, progressive, and fatal brain disease that's linked to multiple hard hits to the head. 
Uh, and many would say that CTE almost certainly contributed to Junior's struggles and his ultimate suicide. Uh, many others have died as a direct or indirect result of CTE. Thankfully, it looks like uh, most of our sports teams owners and doctors are now doing all that they can to help our athletes avoid such awful outcomes, right? But now, whether or not CTE caused his death, or perhaps just discovering that money and fame's not all it's cracked up to be, do you think that Junior, if presented a choice, here you can play a game that you love for 20 years, you'll be richer than your wildest dreams, you'll have more women than you could have ever imagined, you'll have access to anything you could ever want, fast cars, large houses, huge houses, incredible fame and fortune and everywhere you go, people will see you, want a photo with you and want an autograph. But there's just one catch. After all of that, you'll die at age 43, just a couple of years after you retire. Do you think that he would have chosen that life? Now, for some, the answer may still be a yes. I'll take 20 years of fame and glory to die two years later. But for most people, it would be a resounding no. <clears throat> for Junior Sayer, though, he never got that choice. He never saw, he was never presented with the hidden debt that came with the fame, the fortune, and with the game. Now, I'm not saying that in this illustration that football is wicked or depraved. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's the same trick that the devil uses when he makes an offer to you. It's the same trick that the devil uses on us. He will offer you the world, but he'll never tell you the price. He'll offer you everything that it seems like you could ever want, but he'll never tell you what it's going to cost you. If only we would, like Abram, look past the glitz and the glamour and the fame and the fortune and see the price that is attached to the gift. The devil tries to convince you that his gifts are free. It's free. Take it. I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. All I want is for you to enjoy this. I want you to love your life. I want you to enjoy all this stuff. You know, you deserve this. You've worked hard and, and, and there's no strings attached. It's, it's all good. You won't have to pay a price. This is just everything that you've ever wanted. But listen to me, all Sodom's gifts come with hidden debt. Come on, all Sodom's gifts come with hidden debt. The devil might come and say, hey, just look at this on your computer. Just look at this little bit of porn. It doesn't hurt anybody. Your wife will never know. Your friends will never know. You've got a VPN. The site doesn't even know. No one will ever know. It's fine. It's just some pleasure. It's not hurting anybody. But listen, it comes with a hidden debt. And after a period of time, you're going to notice that all of a sudden, my wife doesn't really do it for me anymore. It's not so easy to, to get excited about her anymore, or I start to look at her and compare her and wish that she was more like this, because the devil comes and says, it'll be fine, it's not going to do anything to you, but it comes with a hidden debt. 
Oh, you can just lie on your taxes. It won't, and no one will ever know. It's just a little bit here. It's just a little bit there. And what we don't, every little yes that we give the devil comes with another little bit of authority that he has in our lives. Oh, you, can, you, you don't need to worry about it. You can be popular by just, de- by just denying what you believe. Pretend that you believe this. Pretend that you believe that. Don't stand up for anything. Don't stand up. Don't make any noise. Don't make any waves. You, you just, everyone will love you. Everyone will love who you are. And it comes with the hidden depth that we talked about a few weeks ago. It damages your soul when you've got to pretend to be something that you're not to get love from people that could care less about who you really are. Bitterness, just be bitter for a little while. Hey, they hurt you. You didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault. It doesn't matter. You can be bitter. You can be mad. You can get angry. Listen, there's studies that prove now that bitterness not only causes you physical uh, uh, ailments in your stomach and in your body, but, can, but contributes to cancers, contributes to brain damage, contributes to all sorts of things because all of Sodom's gifts come with a hidden debt. I think about drunkenness. I think about sex outside of marriage. I think about just a little bit, just another little lie, just a, just a little bit of freedom from authority. Look, it all comes with a hidden debt. Think about drunkenness. Well, I can just get drunk just this one time or just to celebrate this great and exciting promotion at work. And then, but when we read in Genesis around chapter eight, we see that for Noah, just one moment of drunkenness fractured his family forever because it comes with a hidden debt. It feels like a gift, but when it comes from depravity and wickedness, it comes with debt. And listen to me, the devil will recall the debt. The devil will demand a payment. You make a deal with the devil, you give him authority in that area of your life, and he will demand a payment. God isn't telling us to avoid these things because he's a mean God with a magnifying glass who hates fun and just doesn't want you to have sex and doesn't, no, no, God designed it, all right? He gave you all the parts necessary to make that happen, all right? That was God. He could have made, uh, he could have made babies come by holding hands, but he chose a whole nother way, right? Right? Like, like, no, God wants you to have sex. Someone say amen, right? But he wants you to have sex in the design that God came up with that's within marriage, right? Like, God's not against you having fun, all right? God's not against you enjoying food. God's not against you, 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 you living a great life. But the thing is, what we discover is when we go against God and when we go toward the devil, it comes with debt, but God's way is better. Come on, God's way is better. He he wants you to live a better life, and the better life lines up with his word. It's not just like, don't do, no, 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 it's if you do this, it will go better for you. Amen? It's a better life. Oh, Lord, that you would help us to see with eyes that see the debt that comes with every seemingly good thing that the devil has to offer us like Abram saw it. God, help us to see the hidden debt. Help us not to fool for the glitz and the glamour that comes with the gift. Help us to be like Abram and step back and lean on the word of God and find real life in your ways, Lord. Someone say amen. Amen. Abram saw the hidden death. Lest you say, I made Abram rich. I want to show you how he did that. Because sometimes it's hard to see it, isn't it? Right? Sometimes when you're in the moment, picking between two options, it's hard to see that hidden debt. 
So I want to show you how Abram did that. Uh, this is beautiful, but first what I want to do is I want to introduce you to king number two, the king of Salem. Uh, that is um, Salem like Jerusalem, the precursor to Jerusalem, not Salem like the Salem witch trials, okay? Um, that in America everyone thinks of when you say Salem. <clears throat> um, but the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, so to speak. Uh, let's put him up on the screen. There he is. So his name is Melchizedek. His name means righteousness. Hello. Come on now, right? And so, uh, and, and Salem uh, means peace and wholeness, and so, so we can receive righteousness from peace and wholeness, and um, uh, on the one hand, Abram's being offered a gift from the king of depravity and wickedness. On the other hand, he can receive righteousness from the king of wholeness and peace. So who will you live for? Who will you give authority in your life? Who will you come into submission to? Will you choose riches beyond measure but live under the, the, the authority of the king of wickedness and depravity? Or will you receive righteousness and live under the authority of the king of peace and wholeness? Let me say it again. Will you choose riches beyond measure but live under the authority of the king of depravity and wickedness? Or will you receive righteousness and live under the authority of the king of peace and wholeness? There's nothing wrong with riches, nothing at all, all right? But riches that come from depravity and wickedness will not bless your life. Look, we're not the church that, that hates rich people. We're not the church that hates poor people, all right? There's nothing wrong with being poor. It's stupid to want to be poor, but there's nothing wrong with being poor. doesn't mean you're a sinner, all right? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being rich. does not mean you're a sinner, in fact, Scripture does not say that the love, sorry, does not say that money is the root of all evil, as many quote. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, okay? That those who love money more than God, those whose money is in a position of authority over their lives, that's the root of all evil. What's really fascinating that I heard a study that was released this week or last week, sorry, um, where, um, where in America over the last few years, they've seen a 12% increase in those whose number one priority in their life is their finances, and they've seen a 30% decrease in those whose number one priority is family and having children. Now, listen to me. We've seen a 30% decrease in those who value firstly family and having children. And we've seen a 12% increase in those whose number one priority is their finances. Is it any wonder that in America, everything feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket. Come on now. The love of money has increased, and the desire to honor God, to go forth and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, the, the desire to live with traditional family godly values has gone down. Of course, we've got skyrocketing rates of suicide, skyrocketing rates of depression, skyrocketing rates of anxiety, skyrocketing rates of uh, kids confused about their sexuality because the values have been flipped. Listen to me. If you're going to pursue riches over righteousness, you're going to live in depravity and wickedness. Come on now. America, yes, America has been very rich and America has been very blessed because first and foremost, our priority was to honor God first and then the riches were poured out. Come on now. But when you seek the riches over righteousness, you'll see both the riches decline and you'll see depression and anxiety and, and, and evil just spike in our country. Riches that come from depravity will not bless your life or your country. You can't serve two masters. If money has become your master, you're not serving God. 
I would rather know riches than riches that come with a debt to depravity. But here's the thing. Abram trusted that God would make him rich anyway because God had said that he would. Without a debt to the king of Sodom, Abram learned that as I seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be taken care of, will be added unto me also. Lot chose to be enslaved to the kings that ruled Sodom. Lot chose to be enriched, to be protected, to be safe within the confines of an ungodly culture because, because, um, and because of it, he was captured and carried away. What's interesting is Lot's choices and those people's choices caused them to be enslaved, but it took a man of God to rescue him and his people from the grip of the ruling kings. I believe that God has sent us to Iowa to rescue our cities. Amen. I believe that God has sent us to Des Moines to rescue Des Moines, to rescue Central Iowa, to rescue Audubon, to rescue Owine, to rescue the Quad Cities, to rescue Spencer, <clears throat> to rescue our state from the debt that they owe to the king of Sodom, amen? From the debt that they owe to wickedness and depravity, God has sent us to show our cities and to show our state that God's way is better, amen? Why did we plant a church in Audubon? To show Audubon that God's way is better. Why did we plant a church in Owine? To show Owine that God's way is better, amen. Why are we in Des Moines? To show Des Moines that God's way is better, amen. Why do we live a holy life? Why do we live a set apart life? Why do we live with different desires and values and, 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 and habits in our lives? Because God's way is better. Somebody say amen. So back to the question that I asked a few minutes ago and then completely ignored. How did Abram refuse such incredible riches? A city's worth of riches for one man. He did two very important things that are really easy to miss. Number one, he submitted to God's authority and to God's instituted authority in his life by paying tithes to Melchizedek. Mm. Oh no, pastor's got a sermon on tithing now. Nope, I don't, but you should do it anyway. Okay? It's not in the New Testament. Really, when they ask Jesus, should we tithe or should we look after widows and orphans? And Jesus is like, both! <laughs> you should tithe. But that's not what my message is about. Theologians of, of Genesis agree that the act of tithing to Melchizedek was an act of humility and submission. Melchizedek recognized the authority that the priest king had over his life. Later on in scripture, as Hebrews 7 talks about, the Levites clan, um, descendants of Abram, right? The Levites clan, they're the priests and they collect the tithes. And as priests, they have spiritual authority over the people's lives. So when we tithe too, we acknowledge that God has instituted a church or ministers or pastors in positions of spiritual authority in our lives. That's another beautiful thing about tithing, by the way. It brings us under the spiritual covering of our pastors, of our board and elders, under our church, come on now. And when we don't, we remove ourselves from that spiritual covering, come on now. But in giving tithes to Melchizedek, 
Abram humbled himself and recognized that there is, in fact, on earth a man with authority over him. Before this moment, there was not another man on earth. Before this moment, Abram didn't even know that there was another worshiper of Yahweh. He didn't even know there was another worshiper of the God Most High. And then he encounters Melchizedek, and God does something in his spirit where he recognizes the authority of Melchizedek as a priest of God Most High, and he humbles himself. Listen, we are called to live under authority. Come on now, we are called to live under authority. All right? What about the centurion soldier? The centurion soldier, you know the song, marched up to Jesus and said, my dear servant is so terribly ill. Jesus said, I'd come quickly, but the soldier replied, just say the word and I know, and he will be all right. And then the soldier goes on and says, for I too am a man under authority. I say, come, and they come. I say, go, and they go. After an encounter with a man who understood authority, Jesus says, I have never seen faith like that in all of Israel. Me, I'm under authority. I do it. When my board tell me I need to check myself, I check myself. When my elders say I'm off track, I'm going to get on track. I live under authority. There are people in my life that can fire me, that can remove me, that can correct me. And, and, and if I refuse authority in my life, I will not be able to see the debts that come with the choices in my life. See, this, 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 this ungodly generation deconstructing and rebelling. They call themselves ex-evangelicals and they're, and they're like, well, this guy, that, and they poster up these five or 10 pastors that have had moral falls as the reason why we're leaving the faith. You're not leaving the faith because of that. You're leaving the faith because you hate authority. At what point did these pastors get up and say they're perfect, have never sinned and will never sin? They've said they need grace. Come on now. Come on now, there are no perfect pastors. Perfect people are allowed to become pastors, but none have applied for the job yet. All right? We preach grace, we give it both ways, okay? I'm not making excuses for them. What they did was wrong, and I am sick to death of it. I'm sick to death of pastors cheating on their wives and whatnot. It's not like it's hard to just stay faithful, for goodness sake. Just do the right thing, all right? All right, I'm not making excuses. But we got a generation, they hold these few cases up. But really what they talk about is, well, they said I couldn't that. They said I shouldn't this. They said this. And they got so many rules. And, so, and then we started saying, the Bible's not a list of rules. Yes, it is. It most definitely is a book that tells you how you ought to live. Oh, basketball doesn't have rules. It just tells you how you should play. They're rules. Rules for life. And this generation wants to deconstruct and rebel against authority. What is rebellion? Witchcraft, Scripture says. <clears throat> Come on now, we are called to live in submission. I live in submission. I'm also in submission to the government of my country. Now what's submission? Submission does not mean obedience. It does not mean I'm going to do everything that Bido and the team say I've got to do. No, 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 no. Submission is this. Hey, when what you say to do does not go against my faith, I live in, with a posture in my heart that desires to cooperate. But you tell me to shut down my church, ain't gonna happen ever again. Not gonna do it. 
Why? Because my God told me that I need to meet. Do not forsake the gathering of the believers and I will not do Lock me up. I will preach some sermons and we'll call them prison epistles and we'll send them out to the world. Come on now. All right? That's submission. But we are called to, I pay my taxes. Why? I feel like they're ungodly, but do you know what? God said to pay my taxes. So I will and I do. You got to live in submission. When you step out of submission... See, the devil has convinced us that there's, that freedom from authority will bring blessing, joy, and abundance. But in actual reality, there's a debt to be paid. It removes you from the covering of your church. It removes you from the covering of the word. Come on now. And listen, you will never not be under authority. When you choose to rebel against authority, when you choose to rebel against godly authority and God's ways, you're not stepping out of authority. You're just given the devil authority. You'll always be under authority somebody's authority. Abram recognized the authority of God through a man of God and he humbled himself before God. Recognizing God's ways are better. See, that's what putting God as Lord of your life means. That's what it is. It's He has authority over my life. He can tell me to come and to go. He can tell me what to do and what to say. He can tell me how to live and what to change in my life. Amen. That his feelings, his desires, his wants, his timelines need to come into submission to God's feelings, desires, plans, wants, and timelines. Amen. You need to live in authority. It's about to get even more beautiful. You ready for this? Then Abram took communion as well. Isn't that cool? You'll never take communion on earth with someone who more closely resembles Jesus Christ than Melchizedek. Scripture even says in Hebrews 7 that, um, that, that, that Melchizedek resembled Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, Melchizedek came before Jesus. No, he didn't. Jesus was there in the beginning. Okay? And, so, and so Jesus in the beginning, Jesus has been and always will be. He is, was, and always will be, right? Uh, and so, 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 so Melchizedek, Scripture says, resembles Jesus, which means any interaction with Melchizedek resembles an interaction with Jesus. Melchizedek, in a book obsessed with genealogies and family lineage, is introduced to us with none. Hebrew says he is, uh, with, uh, Hebrew says he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. I don't understand it, why God sent this man in Genesis chapter 14 to resemble the Son of God, but Melchizedek does. He was like John the Baptist too, pointing the way to the Savior, resembling him in every way. He was high priest of most high God, just like Jesus. You know, Jesus was the only other priest king. Melchizedek was priest and king. There's only one more priest and king. His name is Jesus Christ. King David said in Psalm 110 that a savior would come of the order of Melchizedek, a priest of the order of Melchizedek, which is interesting because Melchizedek has no descendants. <laughs> so it's not from the line of, but the order of a priest and king. This shouldn't be able to happen because the priests are Levites of the line of Aaron that we talked about earlier. The king comes from the line of Judah, all right? All the kings come from the line of Judah, yet nonetheless, Jesus comes from the line of Judah as our king, yet he also comes and makes a perfect sacrifice doing the job of the high priest. And so we see, see Abram receive the bread and the wine, a picture of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. 
Is there any wonder why after that experience we see Abram full of faith? We see him walk out of that encounter well nourished in his soul, reminded of the promises of God in his life and full of faith in God's plans and God's ability to do so. Amen. What do we do when we, receive the, when we receive the bread and the blood? We remember Jesus. What did he say? With the take, eat, take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. So Melchizedek spends a moment with God and he comes out of it remembering God's plan, God's call on his life. This is amazing. As we begin to close, I want to share a little rehash with you, but could I have the band come out again and do their things? As we begin to close, if I could have the keyboarder come on out and make beautiful sounds, that'd be beautiful. Thank you. Got you again. We, um, we are going to take communion today, but I want to set something up for you. I want to just recap for a second what's happened here with Melchizedek and Abram. When you remember what God has promised you, you'll never want to make a deal with wickedness and depravity. When you remember who he is, <clears throat> what he's done, and what he's promised to do in your life, you'll never want to make a deal with the king of Sodom. When you live under the authority of God in your life, you'll be able to see the hidden death. Let me say it again. When you live under the authority of God in your life, you will be able to see the hidden debt that comes, you'll be able to recognize what is a gift from God and what is a gift from Sodom. There's one more beautiful thing I want to share with you. Really beautiful thing. Though every gift of Sodom comes with hidden debt, when you submit yourself to the authority of the King of Peace, Jesus pays your debt. Don't you find it fascinating that there's one king offering him riches forever, but with debt. And then there's another king that offers him bread and wine and he instead gives that man tithes and offerings. When you let God be the Lord of your life and have authority over your life, he pays your debt. He even pays the debt that came with the gift that you received from the king of Sodom. When you recognize the authority of the king of Salem in your life, when you recognize God's authority in your life and ask him to help you line your life up with his word, he removes the authority that you gave to the king of Sodom. What areas of your life have you given the king of Sodom authority? Today, it's time to remove that authority and bring it under God's authority. The first king multiplies your debt, takes credit, and enslaves you for the rest of your life. 
But when you live under King Jesus' authority, he pays your debt, glorifies God, and brings you real freedom in your life. I want to close with a story. Would you stand up with me? After finishing 15 minutes late last week, I was committed to finishing on time this week, and we're certainly on track for that. So, so you can stick around for a few minutes. I'd like to remind you that if you're desperate to go to the restroom, so am I. And yet here I am. So you can handle it too. <laughs> um, when Lauren and I were looking, or not looking to, because we knew what God had said, when we were preparing to move to America, we knew what God had said to us. But after having heard from God and confronted with the reality of how difficult it would be to move here, not just systemically, not like, I'm sorry, systemically, not just the systems that we had to go through and the processes, but also the emotional, the weight and the pressure that we would have to be under, we then began to see, perhaps maybe mildly entertain other offers, easier offers, offers that still get where God said, but not really how God said. Abram was always going to be rich, but that's not how God was going to make him rich. So we got presented easier offers, quicker offers, guaranteed offers. We were offered the job of youth pastor at a local church here in Des Moines. Now, in what, what we had heard from God was that we would get, take this church of 30 people that had no pastor for two years that was dying and was, uh, that they were going to shut down. But we, and that's hard to get a visa, by the way. Yes, American government, they can pay us. Much easier to get a visa to be a youth pastor at another church in Des Moines a much easier way to provide for your family, a much easier way to make it happen, a much easier way to get to know the country and sort of figure out how do you start a church. Here's the thing. There's risk involved to go with the 30-odd people. That, that church had debt, by the way, and no assets. Other than the people, they were great assets. But just debt... If that didn't work, we get sent back to Australia because the visa is tied to the job. So that was terrifying. So these other options were easier, quicker, guaranteed. But the more we chatted with them, the more I felt like this was an offer from the king of Sodom. It was not from God, and it was not what God had already promised me. What did God tell me? Pick up your family, leave your homeland, plant a church in Des Moines, call it eternity, and I will build my church, and I will bless you. Now, I'm not saying they were, they were the bad guys. It's not what I'm saying. But God said that He will bless me. He wanted to build something out of what looked like nothing. In fact, he wanted to build something out of what looked like a dead old thing. I could have taken the job as youth pastor, even though I freaking hated being a youth pastor. 
that gets this point in your life where you're like, I hate them. And that's when it's time to get a different job as youth pastor. I love you all now, okay? It's all good. But every youth pastor, if God hasn't called them to be youth pastor forever, there's a moment where God changes your vision and that same day you hate them. You're like, something else. But I was willing. I was like, I was almost willing to go and do that job instead. But then they could say that I made Jesse rich. I made Jesse successful. I blessed Jesse. They could say, we made eternity. That church came from us. We ABC. But you know why I'm richly blessed? Because God made me a promise. You know why our church is so richly blessed? Because God came through on his promise. Now you're like, he's rich? You know what? Yeah, I'm rich. I look at my life, I take stock of my life, and I say, man, I am richly blessed. I am richly blessed. God has been so good. I love my family. I love my wife. I hate traveling. When I have to go preach somewhere else or something like that, I hate it because I love being with my family and, and with my kids, and I love preaching with all of you. You know, I, I love my life. God has been so good. I am richly blessed. But if I took that other job, I would have had a new master. I thank God that even at a young age, I was able to see the hidden debt and remember the promise that the debt payer spoke into my life. See, if I took that job with a, with a master I was never supposed to have, doing a thing I was never supposed to do, who knows, there'd have been some friction between me and that lead pastor. And what happens after a few months of friction is you start getting angry. And, uh, and, and then in the typical American way where they don't do anything about it for the first couple of months, don't confront that. After about a year, that guy would have just blown up and fired me, and then I wouldn't have had a visa, and I'd have had to hightail it with my tail between my legs back to Australia and make up some reason why it was all part of God's plan when it wasn't at all. Do you need to go back and remember God's promise? We're going to take communion in a moment <clears throat> with these little things down the front. The top one, you just peel it back. And then there's a little white cracker in there, a little cracker. I've been called a little cracker before. And, so, and then under that. And then. <laughs> I have. <laughs> and, then, and then under that, you can peel this back a little further. And then there's the, uh, there's the juice under there. And when we take communion, what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to ask the King of Peace to come in and help us to see the hidden debts. Some of you need to spend some time with God, remembering who He is, what He's done, and what He's promised you. Some of you need to come in and submit yourself, come under His authority again. Say, I've been living under the authority of the king of Sodom. I've been fallen for his lies of a debt-free pleasure, escape, or whatever else. But God, I need to come and submit my will, my mind, my choices to King Jesus. Some of you have got some big choices coming up right now. Big choices. And you've got to try and figure out, is, is, is this, is, which, one's the, which one's from Sodom? Which one's from Salem? 
Which ones from depravity and wickedness? Which ones from peace and wholeness? I believe that the more time you spend with God and the more you get to know Him, but particularly after an encounter with God where you, where you submit yourself to Him, His authority in your life, His Word, you'll be able to make the right choice. For some of you, you may already be a mile down the road on that choice. Can I tell you, it is never too late. It may be a 100-mile journey. You may be 99.9 .9 miles deep, but you can still go back. You can still go back. Can I get an amen? You can still go back, amen? And here's the beautiful thing about it. You spent 99 miles traveling against God's will, and yet He will come and pay your debt. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to open the front. There's, there's a bucket of communion there, one there and one there. Um, in a moment, I want you to come down the front. What I want you to do is I want you to come down, but then go away from the bucket. You can come and kneel anywhere down the front. You can come and stand over here. You can, you, you can go back to your seat if that's what you'd like to do. I want to encourage everyone to come and grab a cup today. And here's why. Because some of you, you might be like, I don't, well, I, I don't really see any big choices. Well, you know what came before the big choice was the moment with Melchizedek. He didn't know he was about to get offered a city's worth of gold from wickedness and depravity. But because even when there was no big drama or choice in his life, he spent a moment with God and remembering God's call and God's promise and who God is, living in authority, then when that came, he was okay. So I'm going to encourage every one of you, would you remember him? Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. So do that. There's one in the middle, one on the left. So let's do that right now, and then we're going to worship for about three minutes. We're going to sing a song. Just stand with your arms raised. If you're going to stay down the front, just make some space to the right or to the left. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we take communion today, Lord God, that as we take this moment to remember you, God, number one, we would remember where our righteousness comes from. Lord God, that we would not be living in shame or pain or fear of our past mistakes but that, Lord God, you would release us. Release us. Lord God, for people who have big decisions to make, release them of the fear, that the anxiety. Help us to see clearly, Lord God. Clarify our minds. Give us eyes to see. But God, right now, we submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves and we remember who you are, what you've done, and what you've promised us in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.